I'm Jason Bailey-Losh, and you're listening to Seeing is Forgetting, conversations on contemporary art and culture in Los Angeles and beyond. Today's guest is Yaron Mikhail Hakim. Yaron was introduced to me at an opening here in town by a mutual friend, and he was one of those people that when I first met, I knew right away that I wanted to uh, speak to him in more detail about his life and his artwork. He grew up all over the world. He's traveled extensively. He's sort of a nomad. He's been a monk twice. But in this interview, we talk about how all of these things influence his work and his relationship with his family. It's a very rich conversation, and his work reflects that. So here's your room. You're on. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Absolutely. We met through a mutual friend a while ago at your LAX art show. Right. How long ago was that? A couple months? February. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was struck by how good your paintings were <laughs> when, when I saw the show. Yeah. And I, I would like to talk about the, the paintings in a little bit. But the other thing that was really interesting to me was your, your sort of life story, where you're from and where your family's from and how you transitioned into being an L.A. artist. I thought that was something that was really interesting to the backstory of why you do the things you do. And you're not just a painter. You're, you're multidisciplinary. So can we or can you talk mm-hmm. a bit about uh, where you're from and where your family's from? Sure. I was uh, born in Colombia in Bogota and I was adopted, actually, my um my parents are both born in Israel, but they grew up outside of Israel. So my mom grew up in India, and then my dad grew up in England, and then they met in Ethiopia, immigrated to Australia, adopted me from in, Col- a- from, in Australia, in, in Australia from Colombia, and Is we it- lived there for, for until I was nine, and then we moved to England briefly for a year, and then Switzerland, and I s- stayed in Switzerland most of my uh, formative years. Yeah we've talked in great length about your history and about your work and everything. So I know a little bit about this. Is there a reason that they went to Columbia to, to adopt? Well, you know, I think they knew people who had already adopted children. There was like a community of people adopting children from Colombia at the time. Israelis or Australians? Yeah. Some of them, I, I don't know if they were Israelis. They were, I think a lot of them were Jewish. I don't really know to be honest, but yeah. I think as far as I can remember, um, they were f- friends and they were all, they must have been, I think they were all Jewish. Cause I remember having a friend that was like from Bolivia and, but he was like, but from the region, right. From South America, right. but he was, his parents were, he was Jewish he, as well. Yeah. He was, we, we all went to the same Jewish school. But the reason, and the reason I, I asked this and you, you know, as well, my mom was adopted. Right. So the, the idea of adoption and how that sort of affects the adoptive children is interesting to me because it there's a lot of things that that matter in there that necessarily don't matter i guess when you when you're being raised there's a lot of questions that come up yeah there's a lot of questions endless questions you know what i mean but it's not like i'm never really so much interested in finding my you're not searching for it i'm not searching for my biological parents but i'm searching for something my mom never was either 
she isn't. My mom and my uncle were both adopted, and they they both sort of take the viewpoint of their adoptive parents are their parents, so they had no exactly right. And I feel you're in the same. I feel totally the same way. And I was adopted so young, so it's different. Some of the questions that I had always had, being my mother being adopted, were medical issues. I had a a really big concern when I was like a teenager, you know, over uh, what. There was a period where I thought maybe like that I was crazy or something, you know, like, yeah. What if there's schizophrenia in the family that I don't know of or like. Because you had things you were dealing with like all teenagers. Right. They were affecting you in such a way that you actually considered the fact that possibly. Yeah. Uh, You know, uh, I have a good helping of neurosis. So that (laughs) does like, you know, that adds to. You know, constant fear that, you know, you got this impending doom or yeah. something. Like something, like something's wrong already. Yeah. You know, so I guess the, the Jewish part was nurtured, uh, not, you know, <laughs> in me <laughs> at a young age. So It's interesting to think about that in terms of the work and see what comes out of that or how you actually deal with it when you are looking at the work in certain ways. I want to go into, you're moving around quite a bit, right? When you're a child. Yeah. And we, I mean, we traveled often all the time like uh, for what why my my dad had uh, would do business in hong kong and the far east so i would spend a lot of time going with him on his trips on his business trips sometimes we didn't sometimes my mom just went but then we would also end up we'd visit europe and israel like once or twice a year wow and like from australia that's like that's that's, a haul that's a haul yeah so i spent a lot of time in airplanes how young from birth do you feel like you were like, like, do you feel nomadic? Yes and no. I think we're all sort of like, we're as humans, we all have a sort of desire to traverse nature, right? This is like kind of like a human thing to want to like wander a bit. I mean, some people have it more and less than others, but I think I wouldn't say nomadic because I'm not like moving. Right. Well, you're fixed now. <laughs> but I'm fixed now, but this is, what have I, I've been here five years. Right. About the same amount of time I have. Yeah. Yeah, I will say this about LA. I don't feel like usually I get antsy and I'm like, I got, I got to go, or at least if not move, relocate, travel a lot. And I don't feel so much that urge in LA. And I think a lot of it has to do is that this city is so special in that it's, you know, it's so spread out, and there's so many different pockets of life. Culture. Each one is completely separate and diverse from right. So you just getting in your car, it's like going to different places all the time and even even commuting has its own voyaging aspect to it you know because you're you're going through the communities to get to the other right and and you're being influenced by all the uh, signage the visual stimulation that happens here it's It's amazing unbelievable it's no wonder light and space the movement came out of la oh totally this is this sounds so trite when i'm explaining to people what la is to me I say I never understood what a Rouché painting was until I came to L.A. and was living here. Right. And yeah. visiting doesn't do it like living because that commute through communities. Right. It just sort of comes out of nowhere. It comes then, out of nowhere all the and time. And it's like majestic there. Well, and you're, you're sitting here in the afternoon or in the evening and you wait for that sunset to happen. And it's less of a aesthetic quality than it is an overall transcendent sort of moment yeah type thing. it sounds so no there's it sounds so cheesy in la but it's, it's the way it's, it is and it's a thing that i have found they're one of the reasons that i'm still here and i feel the same way too like i am the type of person i mean i've lived in 
I'm from Iowa. I lived in Omaha. I lived in Washington, D.C. for six years, New York City for six years, and then L.A. for the last like five years. And compared to you, that's not very much. It's a lot. Still. But <laughs> it's in, in terms of the types of communities. I mean, just East Coast, West Coast is big. Well, and from Omaha, Iowa into D.C., right. you know, the reason this is side note, but the reason that I actually moved from Omaha into Washington, D.C. is because I thought to myself, I was like, well, shit, I want to be an artist. I can't do it in Omaha. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I can go make art on the East Coast because all the artwork on the East Coast is the same. I figured if I moved to Washington, D.C., that it would be just as diverse as New York. Absolutely zero comprehension of the fact that those communities are completely separate because right. when you're in Iowa and this translates, trans Oh, right. It seems close. It seems they all seem close and they yeah. all seem like the morals and the, the value systems, the art communities and everything seem like the same. They seem singular. Right. And you see this in uh, American politics a lot too. And I talk to, talk to people about this when, when they can't understand why somebody in Iowa is voting a certain way, it's because you grow up in a community where there are zero people of color. I, I didn't know. Right. I think you told me one I, time. you. I didn't know what a Jew was until right. I moved to Washington, D.C. Yeah. I was like, sure what is it? But you have no clue. <laughs> right. You know. And then right. I moved to New York and I saw a Hasid and I was like, what is going on? Right. I mean, right. you feel like a, a hillbilly coming into the city. but. <laughs> If you don't experience and you don't know what really what those things are, right? And I think it's no wonder. And I think that's uh, it's really actually poignant what you're saying because within that space or like going to new spaces, experiencing new cultures, new spaces, new places, then you're it's really uh, an opportunity to grow to like self reflection and expand the knowledge base. Expand the knowledge base immensely. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm very grateful for my parents giving me that at a very young age and giving me that bug and like keeping it alive. So when, so you, you moved around a bit and then Switzerland was basically your hub of where you spent sort of the formative years of your life, right? Right, right. Yeah. I was in Switzerland pretty much. Whereabouts exactly? In Geneva, the French speaking side. You speak French? Yes. And Hebrew? And Hebrew, you know, and a little Spanish, but I'll say this pretty rusty at all of them right now <laughs> okay so geneva formative years yeah and, and geneva was you know that's a very strange place in what way you have like decadence beyond decadence because of there. money yeah because of the banking you also have because the un is there there's also a lot of uh you know you have all all these embassies it's just the whole it's Actually, it's a lot like D.C., but imagine D.C. with like, Way more money. Yeah, with this, like, banking, yeah, you know, heartbeat that's, like, just money, money, money. And, it, like, was it weird to grow up there then? Yeah, it was totally weird. I mean, everything is manicured. Everything's, like, you know, the law is followed, <laughs> you know. There is, there's not much chaos, you know, and I find I'm really kind of attracted to a bit of grit and chaos and Geneva doesn't really have that. Do you think that led you to be more manic? Like what you were talking about in your childhood and like being a, a youth and like a teenager and thinking about yourself and like worrying about things like your trap. No, I, don't, I don't. Yeah. I mean, there was feeling of trapness, I guess, entrapment, but um, probably no different than like me being in Iowa. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, we were angsty kids. I mean, I think you could be in a city and still like have like a, a 
neurotic you, childhood or so basically whatever, you're just but, neurotic yeah <laughs> to, i mean yeah i mean aren't we all like, you know we we yes we yeah, definitely are yeah. when you were traveling did you travel to the states to the states totally i, I had been in the states uh, a number of times i had visited new york many times uh, california i had never been in the midwest though like, uh, so or the south what was your transition into the united states so i came i really wanted to get out of switzerland so and, it, and I was in the international, an international school, and you had to do a 13th year over there. The year IB was the 13th year. So it was like your first year of college. And I was like, I don't want to stay here anymore. I don't want to, because they didn't have the courses I wanted to take as well. Long story short, the U.S. was the quickest way out for me, because otherwise I'd be like getting ready for a British school or something like that. And so I traveled down, you know, I checked a bunch of schools at the RISD, Parsons, whatever, you know, came down. And then I got to Micah and I just did a tour. and In Maryland. Yeah, in Maryland and in Baltimore. And I was just like, oh, this feels right. And I didn't apply to the other ones and just went there. So I lived in D.C. for a while. I don't think anybody in D.C. would describe Baltimore as feeling right. Well, <laughs> I got to say, that's right. It's true. I didn't look around the city, but it was the school. <laughs> The school felt right, so I went there. Yeah, no, no, no. So yeah. uh, you're and, in... and then after that, I went back to, I stayed an extra year to do like a optional practical training. Wait, 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 you're skipping apart. Oh. We talked about this, but this is really interesting because okay. it, yeah. it relates to all yeah. of the work. So um, third year. Third, yeah. Junior year. Yeah. I uh, took a leave of absence and I went to India and, and Burma to study Buddhism. And uh, I went and became a monk. Basically, all my work at that time had become like very much about my meditation practice. And I had been getting very austere with myself. Which I find like everybody finds themselves in a certain way when they're going through that, that process of like college and stuff too. But you at that age were meditating a lot. Yeah. Like from age eight, like 17, I started getting interested, and then 18, I was like really being quite harsh with myself. I had long hair like I have now, and I shaved it off as like you really, know, yeah, as like a sign, like oh, you know, I was trying to, I guess it was like kind of being rebelling a bit, but yeah, or like I don't know, just extreme, you know, kind of like being straight edge, which I was a straight edge, yeah, right. See, you yeah, we, we both went and you yeah, understand. no, totally. <laughs> you only have so many options, you either go. Completely left, completely to the right. Thank God right. you just shaved your head and I became a straight edge. Right, exactly. We went, well, let's say for, I mean, there's there's pros and cons, right? Yeah, yeah. Just thinking about it, dreaming about it. Like I was having vivid dreams of like needing to go there, you know. I even had a, a dream where I was talking to the Dalai Lama. Of course, we weren't using words, but he, <laughs> Of course. <laughs> but he was like... You know, he like looks at me and I look back and then I look down and I'm wearing robes and I'm like, oh, I wake up in the morning, kind of got to go. You know, I stayed like half a year and... Had you been there before or not? I think I'd been to India. I I don't really remember it too well. There's like... As a kid. So yeah, it as wasn't a kid, like, yeah. I have stronger memories of like Hong Kong, India Korea seems like a strong like place to sort of be for six months. Yeah. Like and I was in, the in middle... like... I was in Bihar, which is the poorest state of... India. Why and, were you there? Because there's a small town called uh, Bodhgaya, and that's where the Buddha attained enlightenment, and that's where I went to go 
Did study. you just go cold or did you have a plan? No, actually, I, I had found a way that I could study there, like really like take a study abroad program, but I still had to leave school to do this. I had to enroll in a different school, basically. And they had set up this school over there to so that you could study the history, the philosophy, meditation practices, like all this stuff, everything I'd wanted to do and still be in school sort of at the same time, they gave you like this whole month to go off and do whatever you explore. wanted. Yeah, explore and then come back and write it like a paper. So I went to Burma and just shut myself off in, Amazing. A, in a monastery. But you became a monk? Yeah. I, so I took ordination and then... What does that entail? A lot of rules. Do you have to do... <laughs> I mean, it, it, basically, you eat, you eat one meal a day. Um, you, you, know, you wake up, you practice. Does it happen over a period of time? The ordination, like, do you... Oh, it's just like a day. And you, to transition um, yeah, into... Yeah, to transition in. In the tradition that I was following, which is uh, Theravada, uh, Buddhism, and then there's really... This was like a more specific Burmese style, so it's a little different. They sort of have a tradition of if somebody dies or you're about to get married or something like that, men off go and take ordination for like a week. Oh, okay. And, you know, they, they just keep more vows and practice harder and and they're all kind of used to it in a sense because the society of, or the, the society and also yeah the the lay people the people that aren't monks right. right like the men in particular when they're younger a lot of them go to the monastery because that's where you get like education if you're out in the rural areas it's the easiest so it's place kinda, to yeah. that provides education right. for and this is me talking about then this was like it was 99 2000. 2000 yeah you know when i came back i had to go back to school i had already but you had to so you were a monk you had to disrobe though yeah i had to disrobe i had to disrobe this one time well i took ordination twice because i wanted to travel this one time and i wanted to travel back to india and be in bodhgaya as a monk for me some reason that meant something special so i wanted to do that and um but to travel, you had to disrobe. Yes, I had to disrobe, and I was I, that a personal choice or was no, that? No, uh, I had met this uh, monk in in the hills in Sagai, and he was. I I asked him this question, like you know, what should I do? Was he a mentor or what was he, or just some guy you ran across? No, he's mm, for lack of a better word, he was like the the head monk or abbot, you know, of this one spiritual monastery. leader of. Of this one monastery. Right. And a lot of people follow him because he's, he's, he's pretty amazing. The monks that I was in the monastery with, they took me to meet this guy because they were like, you need to meet this guy. So I met him. And it was a really unnerving kind of experience because it was just like not real. You know, the way the light was falling. Like out of body. Out of body. It like, yeah. And then he was answering questions I didn't ask him. But, but I was you like, wanted to ask but him. But I wanted to ask him, you know. So when I did ask him a question, I was like, I should follow this guy. So I you disrobed so and I disrobed. then you traveled. And then I traveled back to India and then and took then ordination again. Again. And then when I was leaving India, I was disrobing. And I got to say, disrobing is like, you know, becoming a monk, a big ordeal. Disrobing is 
It's so anti. There's like really, yeah. Uh, the guys, <laughs> you go up and you say, "There's a closet over there." Yeah, go hang your robe up. It's something like that. Like I went up to the the head monk. Okay, so I want to disrobe. And I, he, I think I, this is it. I'm gonna quit. Yeah, and and you know what he just did to me? He was like, hmm. he didn't even <laughs> use words. He just like was like, okay. So you disrobe the second time, and then you come back to the states to finish school. And what was that like coming back? I mean, that's such a major life change it was coming really, back into school uh, after all of that. It Holy was difficult. Crap. It was difficult. It was hard. But I, I had made a decision that when I came back, I was going to stop being the way I was, like stop being so strict. Also, I had a realization while I was monk that you don't need to wear robes to be a monk, you know? Yeah. Just being aware is yeah. already like an amazing thing and just... It's already 100% better than where most people are coming from. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody. No, I'm saying, but, but being you know aware I mean? like, is like a, being conscious. And we run into yeah. this while making our work all the time, too. This is a major thing when you're in the studio. Just being aware of all of the things outside of the studio and like what you're doing and how the work that you are making affects or, or is affected by the things that are outside of you. Mm-hmm. I think is incredibly important and not enough artists actually pay attention to the factor or are aware of what has come before them or what is happening while they're making. Right. You're basically saying there's no like real idea of individuality in that sense. Well, I I don't think it's necessarily this idea of like, we're all one, but I think when I, no, I mean like when I, when I say individuality, I mean like you don't exist without other people. You need the guy who, well, you who need the guy who came before, like, but also, being aware in the sense too that or the gal or the gal the 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 um the things that you're doing have an effect on what is taking place right now right so you can't be so insular and obtuse to the fact it has repercussions everything affects everything you know right so like and it's it's not obvious what that is it's not but to just be aware and sort of take the time to sort of appreciate the fact and take a breath basically Mm -hmm. take a moment and sort of Think about things before you actually do them and how that's going to affect the work or the people around you or the way people see the work. I mean, it sounds very uh, deep, but I don't think it's just, it's just taking a moment. Yeah. 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 I don't know why we broke off on that tangent. Yeah. So you came we back, went, you went to school went, and then finished you, school, but then you left. Yeah. And then I left. I um, went back to Switzerland. I went back to Switzerland for, oh man almost seven or eight years, like something like that. And this is the thing that we were talking about this. What got me about the reason you left Switzerland and you came back. Right. I was, it was the, um, it was after post nine 11 and it was just, I wasn't feeling as comfortable anymore in, in the States. The reason you went back to Switzerland to begin with, it was an issue. You felt like, yeah, it was a bit of an issue. In my mind, though, I had this <laughs> I had this idea. I was going to go back to Switzerland. I was going to teach some art classes at my high school, which I had set up, right? I had all these classes set up to teach. And then I was going to save money and then move to New York. Yeah. That was my idea. I still had stuff in storage in the yeah, States. Yeah. I got to Switzerland and like everything just sort of fell apart. Yeah. And then the next thing I knew. And you like, weren't making work, right? I was always like making stuff but i didn't have a studio but it it took a while before i got a studio and then really getting back into a 
studio practice. Eight years, right? Were you there? Yeah, eight years, I think. Yeah, I re- seven or eight. I really know your life story. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, and then you know, I, went, I wanted to go to grad school, and I had visited L.A. in 2007 to see a friend out here who was in grad school at the time at UCLA. I was just really enamored by how do-it-yourself it was. Like, there was a lot of art, artist-run spaces. It just seemed like... It didn't matter. Like, yeah. You just city, do whatever you wanted to do, yeah, and the and this, city sort of provided. Yeah, and it was like teeming with this energy, and I was like, this is cool. And then when I went back to Europe, I kept starting to see artwork that was coming out of L.A. that I was really influenced by and like excited by. So I decided I need to be in L.A., and I want to be a part this art scene. I was very specific about that. It had to be here. <laughs> when, when, yeah, it had to be here. I, w- I, I debated London just because it's Makes closer sense. and it'd yeah. sort of be a little cheaper. And stuff I love like the London that. art scene. Yeah, I do too. But I ultimately, I was, I was said to myself, whatever school is right for me will be there. Irvine ha- happened to be the school and I went to Irvine and I can't, I don't regret it. I, I think it was a good program for me. Let's go into, you, you got out of grad school, you had multiple projects that were actually notable and we could talk about them, but the one yeah. that I would like to talk about is actually your current work. So we've done, we've talked about your past, we've talked about like what's gotten you up to this point, but let's focus in on now. Sure. That sounds um, good. You are working on a piece tentatively called like a bunker. Right. It's called Bunker. Essentially, I, I designed a bunker for my father to inhabit. It comes out of my desire to share with him specific things from my life that I've been unable to communicate with him in a, in a regular way. The bunker itself is not like um, a concrete bunker that's underground or anything like that. It's loosely based on that idea. So it's more like a architectural structure that, above ground that is made out of like a sort of steel skeletal it's like an armature. Like an armature, exactly. Within it, I placed certain objects that I, you know, I really want him to pay attention to, books and artworks. Are there multiple rooms or what are there? It's just a singular one. And then, and there's like a, a hammock. So it's and built, is it built, it's built for him to like be comfortable in or is it built yeah. like, what's the intention? Like he, you say it's to, you, you say. So here, here's, here's okay. the other thing is that he has to build it. Oh. I'm going to make him build it. I'm going to make him build it. And it's. I'm going to invite him to come. Do you think he will? Yeah, I think he will. If I write it, or write the letter correctly, he will. I think the idea of him building it also is, it's an entry point for him. Have a conversation that he typically probably wouldn't have with you. Right, to give him a project, one. So, so something, to, something to do that's tangible. And also something that we used to do when I was a child in Australia. We used to build model RCs together. So would you build this with him? Actually, as far as I, if I remember correctly, when I was younger, he was building them and I was watching him build them. So this would be the same thing. You're going to watch him build this <laughs> I'm going to watch him build this. Actually, I'm going to document him and then make a video of that after as well. For yourself or for... It will be part in the piece as well. And I'm hoping that him taking on this project, that he will be able to, will be able to discuss further. Talk. And then he's supposed to be, he's supposed to inhabit it a bit, right? So there's... A lot of things, a lot of items in there are also really, uh, they're like uh, stories that he would tell me. So they're attuned to him anyway. Yeah, there's a couple of items in there that are 
definitely just for him only he would get it like maybe my sister and my mom would get it too right they would totally get it actually so I'm, I'm making it comfortable but there's also things in there that i think would be hard for him to be with to take time with. because you're addressing issues of your relationship that i'm addressing issues or yeah and, and specific, the relationship is actually really discussed more in another uh side alcove that i'm going to build that it's going to have so basically an alcove just like a walled off area so the bunker's in one spot and then the alcove has this projection of uh of a 1955 fallout animation that was made by the civil department and it was like giving you instruction directions yeah yeah, directions he was he's aware of that also he's like lived in countries where bomb shelters are important so there's that relation what I'm going to do is take the audio out and replace it with, I'm replacing it with my own instructional manual for him to deal with. To survive him. your relationship with his son? Yeah, something like that. But also yeah. the rest of the, the the family nucleus, right? So it's it's uh, instruction on uh, emotional development in Hebrew. That's the other thing. I'm going to do it in Hebrew, which he... It's his first language? That's his first language, yeah. And it's funny, he doesn't talk to me in Hebrew. He, my mom will, but he won't. Is there a reason? He doesn't believe I speak it. Really? Yeah, it's weird. Uh, yeah. One time he did speak to me in Hebrew just because I was talking to my mom in Hebrew. And then but he, you took note of it. Yeah, I was like, because normally if somebody asks when, you know, when I'm introduced to one of their family, like one of their friends, they'll ask always, does he speak Hebrew? And they're saying this in Hebrew and I'm standing there listening. And you say he, no or what? he's like, no, no, he doesn't. But I do, you know, <laughs> I understand you right because now. Because you grew up in a, in a school where you learned Hebrew. Yeah. And also Hebrew was around the house. Like there's always like. A, it's just there. Yeah. Hebrew, French, English, like the whole like house has always got multiple languages going on. This piece is really kind of personal. It's hard to talk about because of its sensitivity also i don't like i realized that in, in a lot of the things that i'm putting in there are i'm, I'm afraid that they might be offensive to him because I'm, I'm getting to sensitive points but like subtly and i'm trying to i'm trying to break some ice and i am stirring up a lot of stuff that i'm i'm afraid to do too. well because you think it's going to be easier to have the conversation while doing this than actually having the conversation outside of the artwork Addressing the issue inside of the artwork is easier than addressing it. I've already tried to address it outside of the artwork. Okay. The reason it's a bunker is because I don't see any other solution. This is the way. This is my creative way to like try and deal with this, this situation. When, when that, I look at your work, and I look, I, I've looked at a lot of it, it's all very personal. You have these moments of incredible solitude in some of these pieces. There was a video piece. I think it was called Beach. But oh, it, was, yeah. it was from a while ago. It was like, I think, 2012. Yeah. But l- it struck me how sort of isolated you were in this, felt very lonely in, in the video itself. But like a lot of these pieces, th- they feel that way. And I guess this is a secondary qu- statement or question to the same thing, too. It seems like you have two separate practices. You have a, you, you are a studio artist in a way. And I relate to you in very much the same way. Mm-hmm. We have, yeah. The same affinity for materials and everything else. We talk about totally. that, but also you are a, a project-based artist. 
So you're doing these things that, that are on a size and scale and scope that is much larger and takes a lot longer period of time, like years sometimes. Right. Yeah, totally. Do you uh, want to, can they, you talk a bit about how close or personal the issues are and these two different sort of paths? They are separate and yet they, they meet, overlap and influence you know, the, the studio practice, like the, the project-based stuff. But yeah, the project-based stuff usually starts with an initial idea that I have that is uh, large scale. And then it takes me a while to strip it down and then build it up. And then it takes a couple of years to work but it out. But you're doing these projects, the large scale ones, while you're doing the actual studio practice too and totally. the individual objects. Yeah. They're always going on at the same time. Do you see those individual objects as being a a part of the larger things, or how does that? At times, they have been. Um, when I built a Sacred White Sculpture um, in 2013, you know, I built this outrigger sailing canoe that's 22 feet. Oh, and you sailed down the coast. Right. I and remember it, this. This thing's intense. Yeah, and it's, I mean, while I was doing that, I was also doing a lot of drawings and uh, paintings if anybody wants boat. to learn about that there's a really good interview with you i think it's the orange county register oh yeah <laughs> that speaks specifically about this piece that's true it that's is a, it's a it's a well-written article but it talks in depth about about that work and that one's always funny because i always think my mom they they called my mama i know which, your mom was so proud <laughs> it's like god that's it's very sweet it's, it's lovely sweet. Man. it's totally sweet she's she's the best i didn't mean she's to interrupt you i'm sorry no no not at all yeah, so the two are always going on at the, the same time. You know, really the project-based one is just basically installation work. In a sense, right? It becomes an installation or something that I get to, the body gets to use, right? It, to me, it seems like those project-based pieces, you're resolving some issues that you have and you're trying to sort of fundamentally change what's going on or like how you're dealing with those issues over a period of time. Mm -hmm. And part of that time frame when you're actually building the works or creating yeah. uh, creating the pieces is you figuring out how to sort of map a path through those issues. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me, and I could be completely wrong, correct me if I am, the piece with like the bunker and stuff is much the same way where part of, of this process isn't only just sort of the end results of your dead building this, but it's you figuring out how to sort of reach that goal in a way that works for both of you. Yeah. You know, since the bunker isn't done, it's hard to say what, what's going to happen. Because right. I know that, like, when I built um, the boat, for example, the Sacred White Sculpture, that my feelings and my understanding of what I was doing before and after are not completely different, but pretty different. You know, like... Oh, really? Yeah. They're like, not close. They're totally different. Yeah. Or, like, my understanding of where the importance of what I wanted to get out of it was like, it might've been somewhere else in the process rather than like, well, it's that product of like going through something for a period of time. You yeah. have no idea. Yeah, no. And it, it's all, it, and you're right in that sense. It's very much like, that's a learning thing, uh, a learning experience. But I mean, the painting is too, but it's different. It's more immediate. You know, there's like, so let's I can, like run let's, through a bunch. Let's talk about, the painting of it, because we haven't spoken about your painting that much. I, at the very beginning, we mentioned it, but I think the, the most recent works that I had seen at LAX art mm -hmm. were paintings. Right. On, and on sales. Right. And you can Used. immediately, you immediately tell they're on sales, by the way, they're beautiful paintings. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's, 
I don't know if you know this, and it, you know, original sailcloth was linen. I didn't know that. It was linen, and then when linen became expensive and it was wartime, they moved to cotton. In that sense, it has the relationship to painting, the materiality of yeah. it. But now I've been using, so I'm using Dacron. Dacron is essentially a polyethylene uh, weave, so it's plastic. And then I'm painting an acrylic, which is something that I've never, I've never done before. Like I always painted in oils. I was kind of like anti-acrylic. I was for the longest time too. I was a portrait painter. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so I was a portrait right. painter, so everything was oil, and you, it just felt acrylic felt so wrong. Yeah, or, I think and, we were taught that it was wrong. Right. Yeah. You know, I was surprised when I moved out here how many people used acrylic. You know, because like when I was an undergrad, I was like, you got to nobody use oil. used acrylic. Yeah, you had to use oil. Well, it's L.A., dude. Nobody yeah. gives a shit. You just do whatever works. But then. And I used to always be like, oh, acrylic looks like, it looks like plastic, well, right? you look down on people. Right. But now I'm like, I, I don't know if I would go back to oils right now. You know, I, 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 I look at those mixed, and they don't, like, they don't look acrylic to me. They, and I found a way that I'm okay with it. Like I don't, I don't buy Working it. with the medium, you mean? Yeah, right. I've got some other things that I'm trying out right now that I think are even better. Did you have a history like, of a, as a painter or not? Yeah, I mean, my undergrad, I, I was a painting major. Oh, you were? Yeah, I was a painting major that never went to painting classes. <laughs> it's so funny. I that's I like. I would always be going up to the uh, what do you call it, the painting uh, chair, and being like, uh, "Can I get this other elective? This painting elective switched for this other." Thing. <laughs> so you essentially didn't take any painting classes through undergrad. No, I did. I did. I took a, a bunch. I took what I had I, to. I, I failed just, all of my drawing classes. What? I just never went. Ah, well, that's how you yeah. Fail. Well, you know what I mean. That's it's how just sort of like you fail a drawing class. I just half-assed it <laughs> well, the entire go. way. Yeah. Go. I was just there like, you go. Yeah. well, in, so when I look at your sculptures, and the reason we were talking earlier about having this sort of selection process of like materiality and everything, mm -hmm. this sort of disparate nature of object, having this diversity, and I could easily see, and I said this to you the other night too probably the biggest compliment I could give to another like sculptor because I'm mm -hmm. really critical, but I could see myself making the work that you're making or right. at least right. making the same choices that you're making with certain objects. And I rarely find that in, in a lot of the stuff I, I look at, but like when I look at a specific object, Oh, I could do this with it or figure out a way to like sort of attune it or like right. flip it in a way that it doesn't quite look like the thing it's supposed to. And every time I looked at the objects, that, that I'd seen of yours, I always felt sort of an affinity toward them. That's great. That's so nice. That's so sweet. I feel like we should start a band. Maybe we could... Uh, I could do that. I could totally <laughs> we do we that. Could, <laughs> we could just jam and just... like Bro love, um, dude. Bro yeah. love. I mean, I feel the same way being in your studio, definitely. You got like a lot of a lot of these objects. I'd, I'd have a lot of fun with it. It's great, right? <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's a shame that nobody could see what I'm looking at right now but it's it's one of the great things about doing the podcast actually in the studio is having being surrounded by the work for right. me it makes me comfortable so it's easier for me to do the interviews because i'm in a place of like sort oh, of yeah. refuge yeah, you're in your home yeah i'm in my home you're like your it's safe place your safe place which is really sort of ridiculous it's in my garage i mean speaking about putting things together that you find what are your choices how are your choices made why i pick the objects i do yeah. or like what are the yeah the, initially, all of this started because my father-in-law started sending me objects from North Carolina. Oh. 
and I didn't select the object. So I would get packages and they just have objects in them. And what was nice about it was that it, it separated me enough from the selection process where I wasn't putting a value, either monetary or emotional, okay. on the objects when I found them. You don't say, I spent $30 on that random tchotchke. Right. I need to be using it. Right. All these things sit in the studio now for months or years. And I deal with them on a aesthetic level and sort of a, I deal with them as individual objects. So when I do the paintings that I'm doing now that are based on uh, sculptural compositions, I'm, I'm dealing with flattening out these individual objects into shape and form that actually work to make the sculptures at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that's, that's interesting that somebody else is bringing these into your into your space yeah now i'm doing so you're it. you're adopting all these objects. well yeah but now i can go out and actually find them myself and sort uh, of figure out where i need to be so now it's I've like found, it's transitioned yeah it's helped me figure yeah. out a place to be that i am not but you just still i'm not so dependent the, on the emotional value that i impart onto the things that i actually find now i've i found a way to sort of release myself and i think a lot of that is being in los angeles as well too I, I don't think it's necessarily about the objects as much as it is about being comfortable with myself and the work that I'm making and the place that I am right now. Oh, right, right. Okay. I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. No, totally. Let's yeah. go back to you real quick. But Please. You're, you're making a bunch of paintings right now. Is this... Yeah. These are a lot bigger than the ones you saw, maybe like 92, 80. So eight 80 foot by... by yeah. The imagery, the reference imagery is like switching up a bit, so... That's, that's, I'm interested. I'm excited about the, the new source material. It's great. I think we've hit okay. a lot in the last hour. Hey, thank you so much for Th having me. Thank you for coming, man. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure you'll probably be on again. Oh, that'd be great. I'd love to. Okay. Have a good one. You too. Bye.